Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. My name is Michael Kaplan, and I'm your host. And once again, we come to you from our studios on the beautiful campus of The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. This episode, we continue with our Silver Halide sessions with a visit from Vladislav Kern. Vlad is well known in the film photography community for his knowledge and expertise in Soviet cameras and the Soviet photographic industry. And when we return from our break, we'll have an opportunity to speak with him. Coming up, Vladislav Kern, collector as archivist. Welcome back. You're listening to The Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. As we proceed with the Silver Halide sessions, I'm so pleased to introduce our next guest. Vladislav Kern is a driving force in the film photography community, and through his work and contributions has effectively established himself as an authority on Soviet cameras and the Soviet photographic industry. As the admin of the Vintage Camera Collectors Facebook group and the founder of USSRphoto.com, a clearinghouse of information on Soviet photographica, Vladislav continues to share his knowledge and offer support to the growing number of photographers and collectors who have invested their time and energy to this craft. The breadth of his personal collection of Soviet cameras, lenses, and accessories, and ephemera is well known and he joins us today to discuss its growth, its future, and its profound influence. Welcome, Vlad, to the Ephemeral Machine and the Silver Halide Sessions. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. Well, I appreciate uh, you taking our time to, to meet with us and to uh, come and share um, some of your insight and your perspective. So um, I, I guess to kind of get the ball rolling, um, it, it might be interesting for people to hear a little bit about how, um, you know, the collection started and um, how it sort of generated this, this focus. Well, um, I started collecting maybe around 16 years ago. Uh, I really, from the childhood, was like a, a very fascinated with anything mechanical. So uh, I can't say I'm a great photographer. I mean, I just really enjoy uh, using the cameras more than actually getting the result out. So I'm like, like to tinker with stuff. So, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty good with technology, I think. And I was one, I once got the latest gadgets whenever I could. And uh, one day um, a friend gave me a, I think it was a Zenith 3M, if I don't remember. And um, I took it in my hands and just kind of, just absolutely fell in love with the uh, design and the and the vintage retro lines and the mechanical aspect of it that there's like no electronics and uh, all these knobs and uh, wheels that turn on it. So um, kind of decided to pick one up from eBay. And from there on, it became like a obsession. I was just getting more and more stuff. I found my old uh, Lomo LCA I got as a present on my 10th birthday. So uh, good thing I brought it with me to uh, United States. So um, the collection started growing and um, really um, I started going to the internet uh, and searching for like-minded people. And at a time it was around 2000, 
four, right? If I if I don't if I'm not mistaken, um, there wasn't much stuff that was concentrated specifically on Soviet cameras in the West in English language. Uh, I was uh, there was not a lot of uh, Soviet collectibles around, so I met a few people. I mean, uh, very early on, uh, people like uh, Bill Parkinson, who had a, a website back in the day. Uh, called uh, nightphoto.com. Um, he had an amazing collection of prototypes. He became uh, almost like a mentor to me. We were communicating via email and uh, kind of discussing Soviet, Soviet technology, all the Soviet factories, and uh, really learned a lot from him. Um, and then uh, I, I became a member of uh, Chicago Photographic Collector Society at a time. Uh, it was a pretty... Um, active group uh, back then uh, unfortunately uh, a lot of them passed away and one of the people was Steven Berkowitz who was the president of that group uh, he had a pretty amazing uh, Soviet collection as well so this was the first time I started seeing more rare pieces mm -hmm. so I would come to his uh, house and like go through his collection I was amazed and that kind of really drove my uh, gas uh, more and more into like uh, get getting to know everything about Soviet stuff and, and I was born in USSR in like a, in a small republic uh, of Georgia. It was like a small but a beautiful country um, right now. So and uh, so I grew up in the Soviet times. I mean, I and I moved past after the Soviet Union kind of disbanded. So it definitely has a nostalgic factor for me and kind of like exploring the past uh, became like my passion. So it, it was the love of history of the country uh, where I was born, maybe. And the, the, it combined the fascination of the mechanical things and uh, the, the mystery of it uh, kind of sucked me into it like deeper and deeper. And, uh, and really what drove me to start the website, ussrphoto.com, because there was really no one place where people would interact in English language about Soviet cameras. Yes, there was a rangefinder forum, but it was kind of mixed. I mean, it was like a small section for us, former Soviet Union cameras, but um, not a lot of, a lot of the collectors that started meeting directly via email and, and corresponding with internationally, uh, they were not, they were not involved in this forum. So one of the collectors from Brazil, I think it was Brazil, Luis uh, Antonio Paracampo. He also, also has a website, novacon.com.br. Uh, you probably, he has like a lot of oddities on his site. Uh, very, very cool site. Uh, he yes. collects, he's uh, incredibly passionate about Soviet stuff. And he is, he has such a fire in him that he's like, he was so excited of me coming on the scene because it's just starting like rapidly building up this collection. He's like, we need, we need a place to, we need a place to communicate. There's nowhere. And like in English and there's nowhere to do this. Let's do this, build a site. And I am actually a, a web developer by profession. So I'm like, all right, so I dedicate the time and build a site, build a forum and, at the time, it exploded. I mean, we would have a lot of posts per day, and uh, it, would, it would bring in a lot of pretty uh, heavy hitters when it comes to, like, Soviet Union uh, mm -hmm. photographic equipment. So it became quite a hit for about 10 years until Facebook kind of took over. But mm -hmm. right now, there's so much discussion, and the beauty of the forum is that it's all searchable and archivable. And, I mean, it's the, the amount of information there is just, I just, at this point, just keep it almost like a gold mine archive it's, uh, it's um 
Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I visit it regularly, um, and I use it as for reference material and for just evaluating, you know, certain aspects of the cameras that I happen to have in my collection. And I mean, it, it's a vast clearinghouse. I mean, not only is there a forum, but there's also um, sort of a wiki um section where people right. have posted their own images and their own sort of sub collections and things like that so you could sort of find your your way sort of you know winding through a, a real maze of information there um and you know i gotta say that ussrphoto.com sort of became the savior of the soviet collectors when soviet cams uh adis's uh um site when he decided he wasn't going to, um, you know, move forward with that support anymore. Um, I, I'll remember that day forever because we all sort of freaked out when suddenly <laughs> we couldn't log into that anymore. Well, the, the thing about that, uh, the, uh, actually we, somebody stepped up and, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to reveal this, but, uh, this, this site will get updated. And one of the more prominent collectors, uh, actually took over and in the development of uh, adding uh, a lot more content because Idis' site is phenomenal. I mean, he he put so much time and energy into it. I mean, this is, he, he also was one of the people I met first collecting because when I started going, like really going through all the Soviet stuff and and there's like different little different variations and I would I don't know how many are there. So I, I started going to Idis' site. I mean, to, admittedly, at, the, at this point in time, it probably only covers about 25% what's out there. But uh, at the time, for me, it was like a goldmine of information. So I, I, I wrote him an email. I wrote in his guest book. I mean, I just can't believe that you put all this together. And we started communicating as well and became really good friends. I've been friends with him for about 16 years. So this, uh, and now that he went heavily into um, Lomo factory mm -hmm. history. So he decided to concentrate Onto that, he published a couple of books. Uh, they're like they're in Russian and they're very limited, kind of exclusive uh, release that uh, he made. But they're also full of a very good insider information. He got involved with the actual factory. He went to visit the factory. He met a lot of people there that were um, directors of departments at a time, and so and there he went through the archives. So he's uh, he is a, like um, encyclopedia of anything Lomo. Uh, and Gomes, this is the previous name of it, in Leningrad um, at, at the moment. So he, he kind of lost interest in the overall Soviet camps. But I think we have a, a few really good, interesting sites coming that uh, I think all the Soviet collectors are going to be very happy about. We're looking forward to it, certainly. Um, right. You know, I, 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 I have to admit that, um, you know, I was very passionate about, you know, searching his site trying to find the nuances of the different cameras and things like that um and, and i'm curious because you know for um the collectors of the soviet cameras and lenses and gear you know we sort of turn to and i think i, I mentioned this in some of my notes the princel book as this sort of bible for helping us to understand the direction that all this all these cameras went to how is your collection sort of aligned with the book and if it you know in terms of influence well princel was the first kind of bible i i i, I got on, on on the soviet cameras once i started collecting the like first thing now you look of internet you think of internet when you when you try to do something like when you try to look for information but 
in back in the early 2000s, it was kind of mixed. So the first thing I went like, like, let me get like, a, let me find some kind of catalog or some kind of book just to have on my on my on my desk at all times for reference. And this was Princel. So everybody uh, recommended it. I got it. Uh, it um, it it definitely wasn't great jumping point. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a great starting point just to give me to give you an idea of what's out there in terms of more rare cameras. I mean, it did not go as much detail uh, as uh, like Soviet cams on variations. Mm-hmm. It it went model by model, and at this point, I think it covers about fifteen percent of all the <laughs> everything that's out there. Oh. Um, but uh, it was, it still is a, a, a book I still refer to a lot because the inform- the historical information there is very detailed and um, still still to the to the to this day is, is absolutely current. By the way, the, the, the man itself, I met him in, in France, is absolutely lovely person. Uh, he, he signed a book for me, uh, did a big stamp. So it was kind of very, very cool and warm meeting. Um, we had a, uh, in 2009, uh, we had like a Congress of our USSR photo.com members. Hmm. So we have about 26 people show up in Bieris, um, France, Including um, the Princel was there, uh, the Victor Suglob. I don't know if there's another huge book that was published on, on Soviet cameras. It was kind of like uh, considered next chapter of after uh, Princel. It was 12, 1,200 cameras of USSR. It was unfortunately only published in uh, Russian, but it was a really big book, and uh, and and that one does cover a lot of variations. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still not complete. I mean, there's <laughs> there's so much stuff that keeps coming up. Uh, right now uh with the ussr it's very very unknown um undocumented undocumented industry that we find stuff that we never dream of i mean like i I found this camera that still nobody knows what it is it's a prototype called orbita uh it's a it's a it's a bilomo minsk made camera i mean it's 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 really it's a very unique prototype i mean it's on my instagram uh people look we were really shocked because they just couldn't they didn't see anything like this before i mean they heard rumors about the lens existing but the camera it was like zero information i mean I, I i've talked to people very close to the factory themselves and they still don't know what it is <laughs> it's to this amazing. point amazing right um, and, you know, and you mentioned variants and I know that, um, you know, that's, that's such sort of a specific thing in, in, in your collection. And, and for a lot of us, you know, we do look at this at, on, on sort of a mild level, you know, I may have three or four cameras that have slight differences. Um, but I know on a, on a broader level, um, that idea becomes much more concrete as you attempt to find, you know, those significant changes that have occurred in the different models. Um, you know, is that a difficult path to follow when you're really looking to try and find, um, you know, all the different um, aspects of a camera's uh, production? Well, it's it was a natural process for me. Um, when I first started collecting, I wanted to have one of everything. So I, I, I wanted to encompass all the USSR, um, I mean, there's not that many models, to be honest, like unique, actually unique models. So there's like Zorky 1, Zorky 2, Zorky 3, and so on. Uh, and if you count them, I mean, I, I think it's around like 130, 150 like, unique models that were made in USSR. So at about, 
and if and then but then you start counting all the rare models that were made like in the tiny quantities like uh 200 pieces five pieces 10 pieces and like prototypes uh a total now known is around close to 500 uh on top so so it's it's the bulk of it is is very is more rare stuff. So at the, at one point, I already collected everything that was mass produced in USSR. So uh, I'm, and then I started noticing that hey, this Zorki one is different, has different writing on it. This Fed is different, has different writing on it. It, it differs. So you start you start getting into this. You start seeing the chronological uh, evolution of these cameras, the improvements, uh, the simplifications in a lot of cases because they wanted to produce a, a lot of these cameras fast. So they started cutting corners. In some models, it was successful. In some models, it was not. So there's, uh, and you can tell, like the less, the less of certain variation there are, the harder it is to find because for some reason, it, something didn't work. So it, it, when something did work, you will see more of these produced. Uh, and uh, it, you can kind of trace the whole design, um, design process through these variations. Um, I mean, I st so at about 200 cameras, I, I'm, I, I just really ran out of stuff to collect. So I just started going into variations because mm. it started to be a lot more interesting at the point. Started going over something, looking for something that has made new SSR in the back. And that's like very rare to find. There's maybe only like 500 that were made out of over 30,000 run. Um, and it becomes, I'm still doing this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably close to 1300 cameras at this point and a lot of them variations. Um, um, it's, I'm still looking for, I'm still finding stuff. It's just very exciting when you find something that's not in catalog, not documented or cataloged mm -hmm. either by IDAS or either by other collectors. And it's a process you start hashing out with another, with other collectors, either in forums in uh, uh in Facebook groups, or so, a, a lot of times it's directly with the people you're friends with, like all over the world and that, that have similar size collections uh and you start hey did you ever see this before and uh they're like no i haven't and then everybody starts rushing to find this <laughs> so there's like a race to for all the collectors to find this variation and add this and the first person to find it has a better opportunity to trade it for something more interesting mm -hmm. with another collector so it's it's a game too if you think about it i mean it's like not within the network of people that um you end up getting more interesting cameras in return because this turns out to be something rare that you found. I mean, like, yes, like this morning, as an example, uh, we were discussing with a fellow collector in Ukraine. Uh, there's a fat stereo camera uh, you're probably familiar with. Uh, hmm. the, the, in US, I found two really, really strange uh, stereo feds that are chrome tops and they say stereo vrn on them that doesn't say fed anywhere on them uh and and they are numbered in the back uh, and i found one number seven and then i found it four years later found one number six wow. and and i haven't seen any other examples of this ever I traded one, but uh, I kept one. So I'm trying, still trying to figure out what was what was this? Was it a special order for somebody in US? Why is it only in US and so on? It's very interesting. Um, so these variations, I mean, just like it's they keep you busy. Let's put it this way. <laughs>
I, I can understand that. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I guess to the discerning eye, which you're certainly is at this point, you know, you're able to see those slight variations and then make those distinctions. Um, and, you know, it's always sort of as collectors um, of Soviet cameras, we're all sort of aware of the fact that in the industry, in, in the industry and in the factories, things got swapped out. Um, somebody maybe on a factory line would have just maybe grabbed a different part or something like that. Um, is that, is that considered to be a valid um, variation or does that just sort of happen so commonly that you kind of get used to it? Uh, there are some, I don't think that happens just like you described. It's probably sometimes it ha there's some error models, mm -hmm. uh, but it's mostly error in engraving. I mean, we, we see like uh, stuff missing in wording and lens or in the camera. Uh, and in a lot of, in a lot of, in a lot of in a lot of times, I guess it's uh, we would we consider transitional models. So there's uh, in between variation models. So what happens is uh, during in the, in the factories, the, in a lot of factories, they had what's called a basket assembly. Uh, so they basically stamp a lot of parts and they put it in a basket, and uh, then they decide to they change and they change like an, a stamping. Um, uh, equipment or they upgrade equipment at the factory or something. And so the next, the next variation of it, it becomes a little bit different. So the font changes or something like that. So they stamp more of these parts and they put them all in the same basket with the old parts all mixed in. Right. So, and you ended up being like in a serial number range of like oh, 2000 to 2500 You'll end up with a mixed mixed camera, so into like in, and they're not in order, so you it's kind of like uh they're mixed in and there's different variations, it, it, and you can't tell the one comes earlier than the other because, it, and then and later it comes becomes all new parts. So there's these transitional cameras that are uh, fairly valuable sometimes, uh, or uh, and sometimes they simplify this. Uh, there's there's cases with Fat Two when they um, they had a, the Fat Two had like a square window, uh, mm -hmm. an, a rangefinder window uh, that was kind of like uh, riveted onto the camera, and 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 with that square window there was a, a with the shutter button it didn't have it it didn't have it was different shape it was like like a mush, mushroom shape it was just like a little stick, right. And uh, so at, at some point, they, they got rid of the square window and became doing the regular round window, but they still had the old shutter button. And then later, they were related to the shutter button with the one that has the majority. It's like looks like a mushroom uh, on it. So, so the ones that are in between, they, they, they just swapped, they changed they change one element but left the other, they usually call transitional as well. Right. So these are also fairly rare variations, and it's not a lot of them because it's a small overlap, and they really sewed out there as well so i understand um i mean all the, your approach obviously is um you know has to be considered somewhat non-traditional in terms of the way you acquire cameras i know um you know we uh, sort of on this end we go we search through ebay and things like that um do you work with some sort of non-traditional model that allows you to acquire cameras at a, at a different point connections to um you know friends or associates in the in the uh in russia well it's yeah it's really came down to networking i mean uh once they're collecting because of the website because of me being out there on the social networks 
starting starting um kind of creating connection with people I, it's not just russia i mean that my stuff comes from literally maybe 30 40 countries so uh and you know I mean, if I go visit Sarkatnara, I know that there's a person I want to visit because <laughs> you really form a lot of friendships. I mean, one of the one of the benefits of collecting that you get friends uh, everywhere, all over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I talk to people on a daily basis. I think I talked I talked to a person in Netherlands, I talked to a person in Italy, in Brazil, in Greece, in Ukraine, in Russia, uh, in Belarus, uh, and that was just today uh, that I, 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 I chatted with. And they keep finding stuff, and uh, and there and there's and there's regional stuff with Soviet stuff too because it was exported, mm-hmm. and it was rebranded. So each country has its own little quirks on these cameras, on these models, and they decorate them differently. And when they sold them, they did sold them under different names. So these people already have these cameras, and I have the cameras from other countries, and we keep trading, and and basically I, I get to acquire con- stuff from all over the world, especially exports is like one of my favorite topics, because there's the Zenit was I don't know twenty or thirty different names all over the world, wow. uh, and uh, there's a I mean I have maybe behind me uh, three shelves of thirty Zenits on each one that are differently branded they don't have the zenith name on them amazing and yeah the italy had little uh, cool fun stickers on them like metal stickers sell cataneo italy or they had exact uh, uh italia like uh, like written but on them um they had different their stickers there's uh one had like actually a silk screening that like, like there's a horizon 202 Italian Italian version. They had like a silk screen, like uh, all different decorations. There's like panorama on it, and says like a uh, and had like a little uh, exact Italia logo, and it's all silk, silk screen too. So the model looks really cool. Um, same thing for Brazil. Brazil had uh, Brazil had very interesting stuff, uh, and it was like um, uh, when they, they they decided to import cameras from Belarus. Uh, the, the Zenas that were made there, but they would get charged a lot of money for the import import taxes. When, so what they ended up doing, uh, they would change the bottom plate that said made in Belarus. They would change for their own manufacturer Brazilian bottom plates that said made in Manaus, uh, Brazil. So there's Brazilian Zenits that you don't see a difference. It looks like, like a Belarus. When you pick it up, or you look on the bottom, it says made in Brazil. Amazing. And yeah, so those are very hard to find outside of Brazil. And uh, it's it, they do this in every country too. So this this vastly expands your catalog. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's so obvious that, you know, that aspect of the variance that, is, that becomes regional now allows you to fill in gaps in the collection in a, in a, in a really interesting way and, and broadens the whole thing. Right. Um, and the networking por- aspect is very important because I mean, you, when you build this much um, communication uh, with other collectors, I mean, the stuff just kind of flows to you. I mean, uh, they already know that uh, and they, uh, they offer me trades. So people, you never know what, what they or what I'm going to be offered because really like, I, 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 I get maybe 
10 to 15 things offered to me every day uh, from the, all over the world. I mean, I have most of them, so it's kind of hard to find something right now at this point. But uh, it's very, but once in a while, you find really, really cool stuff. Uh, and uh, this, this, is, this is a benefit. I mean, like I know collectors that like are, they don't really use their real names and they hide their collection and they don't talk to anybody. They just kind of go through books. They go, then they kind of go through websites and do not communicate. And I don't know how they buy their stuff. I mean, they buy stuff on eBay and they buy stuff on whatever auction sites there are, but, and this is why the actual the prices are driven up right lately on Soviet stuff. Like you stuff, people come out that you never seen before uh, and they buy who is this? The uh, the FS1, the photo sniper, the the first photo sniper made by Goi um, uh, with a wooden um, buttstock. Uh, it was sold for two hundred and fifty thousand euro uh, in Austria, uh, I think, uh, a month ago or so. And just some person that nobody knew just bought it. I mean, and this like, and when you don't communicate with other people, I mean, you. You end up, I mean, it's fine. They can afford it. They can do it. But you, you, you end up missing out on a lot of stuff. I mean, most of the deals, most of the sales, I would have to say 80% of the sales of more rare pieces, they don't even show up on eBay. They just go directly between people wow. because it wow. really helps to know somebody. And they, they go for really manageable prices. I mean, st- st- like this, this kind of... Like this, this this item that was sold for two hundred and fifty thousand euro. I mean, I've seen it sold many many times for maybe um, thirty forty thousand dollars. So I mean, it's a big difference. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I can see how it's certainly affecting the market. I mean, just in my own small collection, um, you know, I, I remember acquiring a, a functioning Leningrad, which I thought was a real sort of coup. Um, and I know now that, um, what I paid for it isn't near what it, it costs now to get one. Um, and it seems like the interest is uh, just like across the board. I mean, I think everybody is talking about how film photography is changing because as more people are interested and invested in it, right. it's pushing the prices of the cameras up. And, you know, that's just the way that the market works. It's going to be the natural inclination for this thing to sort of happen. But the Soviet um, stuff is absolutely astronomical. I mean, from what I've seen, I mean, stuff I've bought for, I don't know, 100 bucks. I mean, it's sold for a thousand at least. Wow. Uh, some of it, but some of the items are cheaper. Uh, like right. there's stuff that was rare before, all of a sudden there is a flood of them. And, and it also impacts prices. And some of the cameras actually went down in price. I mean, uh, people were speculating that the Zorki 3 was pretty uncommon to find back, back in mid 2000s. Uh, and they're like, you better buy them now because it's going to keep going up in price. And surprise, these don't then these one don't didn't go up in price. But cameras like Zenit Six, that were same price as Orca Three, all of a sudden now are four hundred dollars. You know, because they're they're more rare. Yeah, yeah. You, you never know. I mean, some some somebody finds like a cache of these, or 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 like people just start selling. All of a sudden, you see this the whole wave of this. Uh, cameras that were considered rare before that you would spend a lot of money on and all of a sudden there's a lot of them out there and the prices are dropping. Hmm. Well, what in terms of the collection, what do you find is probably the easiest camera to acquire? Is it the Zenit A? Uh, Smena at 8.8. Oh, 
Okay. Eight, I'm sorry, Smata 8M. Uh, this they made like 26 million of them. I don't know. They make some ridiculous amount. It was the most produced camera in the world, I think. So I mean, every other camera you see, if you're scrolling through uh, like a classified ads and on, on, on some of the Russian sites or. Uh, or even eBay. I mean, it's probably going to be this man at ATM. But it, but people don't even bother listing that eBay because eBay considered more premium marketplace. Mm-hmm. There's marketplaces in, in like in former Soviet Union republics that are people just just getting rain over the junk and and it's all Smana ATM. <laughs> but Zenit E is probably the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to say, I mean, those were one of the best cameras to use and one of the best cameras to produce the results i mean so i mean in these cases if you want a good soviet camera to use and get good results get zenit e and or get zenit or get a span at am but get zenit b uh all these cameras are true and tried you know i mean well they're workhorses sure right they made them a lot of them i mean they and People say like, oh, they're all junk. Uh, but yeah, I mean, any camera that sits for so long, especially in the ones that were in Soviet Union, uh, the lubricant on them just hardens. I mean, the Soviet Union cameras were made with organic lubricant. So if you CLA it, spend a little bit of money into it, it's going to perform like better than anything else you would, you might, might have tried like any American camera or like Zenit E will last you forever, especially if you put like new new synthetic oil in it. Uh, it will literally last you forever. Mm. It's a workhorse. I mean, people take them to, I mean, somebody just posted a a, a, a photo from the uh, Mount Everest and shot with a wow. Zenit E. <laughs> that was one of the Soviet groups, actually. So it's amazing. I mean, this yeah. camera works in all climates. Uh, it's impressive. It certainly is. Um, does the does the 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 idea that it's mass produced and and has had been produced in such volume mean that there's potentially more variants to kind of discover? Oh yeah, I think if I would have, I, I I drew a line on Zenit E to be honest, because I mean, if I would have collected Zenit E, I would have ended up with like just just four hundred different Zenit E's. Wow. I mean, it's. I mean, they made. In eight million of them, and they there's so many little tiny differences, different color uh, speed wheels. Uh, the, there's different coverings. The different there's engraving. There's silk screen. There's different positions of the silk screen logos. Uh, different positions of serial numbers. Uh, I mean, it's it's countless. I mean, uh, I I I right now, I'm trying to avoid. Uh, doing variations on those just because I know this is like a big uh, I will go down like this really very long uh, rabbit hole um, right. with these so <laughs> right I, I understand um, in, in order to to keep the collection sort of cohesive and and representative of all the different models um, are there cameras that are sim- that simply don't function but you still have them in the collection because of what they represent well there's two aspects to this as well. Uh, so one aspect is I, I when I bought them, they worked. <laughs> but sitting on the shelf, you, you pick them up 10 years later, they don't work. So this is very, very, very common. So at this point, like when I try to sell something that's a duplicate that's been sitting for a while, yeah, it worked when I bought it, but it doesn't mean it's going to work now. Uh, another aspect is um this kind of my motto is like uh, when it's rare i don't care so mm-hmm. if you find something that's 
really rare. I mean, I don't even even ask about working conditions because I know you know that this stuff is not gonna come up again or is gonna. And with the way the market is going up on these rare cameras right now, I know it's gonna be five times the price in a year. So I, I just don't ask questions. Just like in a lot of cases, I see something in eBay. It literally some of the stuff. It literally took me no more than two seconds to click buy it. Now I don't even look and pay. Because like I, if I see this, I'm like, I don't care what condition it's in. Just, 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 just buy it, you know. Because this is, if I see something that I never seen before, it's like it's one of the rules. Just buy it and figure out later. I mean, yes, I've bought a lot of garbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bought a lot of Franken cameras that people just uh, like. Like just now, I <laughs> got a photocore that I never seen before, and I quickly on Etsy, and I basically just click buy it now, and uh, because it had like a. Uh, a brass uh, decorations like a brass uh, lens ring brass uh, metering scale like i've never and it had it just looked very different um and when i got it we started going through it and and the ex i, I have a few experts i usually consult with some of this because there's there's experts for everything mm-hmm. and it's really good to know these people so there's an expert on photocore cameras this guy has a spreadsheet that's a mile long that 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 accounts for every little position of every screw for every year of the production so i'm like i go this oh, he's like oh yeah well, well the shutter on this camera is three years earlier than the body so i'm like okay and that means it's it's no good to start with and this this whole brass thing, they probably uh, took off the paint and polished it and, and put those plop. So and, so this became like a this goes on my Franken camera page, shelf that uh, I usually have the shelf of fakes or I usually buy fakes on purpose. <laughs> I, I I buy fakes on purpose. It's just cool fakes. I mean, there was a Voigtlander made out of Lubitil uh, ca- camera that the the the. There was so much effort put into the putting a Voigtlander logo on it, ma- making like a little sign that says Voigtlander and putting it on it. Uh, that that just 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 fun to have, you know. And it goes in the special shelf. It's just and it's something that you show people and stuff like this is that you what you don't buy because mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not real factory stuff. But it's uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's basically comes down to this. Um, I, I, for me, I don't really care whether it works or not. Um, if it's rare, I'll have it in any condition. I, I never touch it. I never repair it because that really devalues it too. Uh, just keep it in the way you found it because you replace a shutter on it and you put like new curtains and people are like, oh, it's been modified. If this was modified, that means something else might have been modified. That means somebody just assembled it from different parts. You know, it's like a, it's like a sliding, uh, sliding slope. <laughs> you, you, you start doubting one thing, mm-hmm. then it uh, becomes like you start doubting the whole camera. It's like, oh, this, these, this is not, this whole thing is fake. Right. Because- you just replace one little part and it's like what all did you replace you know and like but a lot of collectors are purists they want the original like I, sure. i'm including myself mm-hmm. i mean i don't mind a fake when it's cheap <laughs> but uh, when when i get an actual real camera a real non-fake camera that's rare i mean it has to be kind of um un, un, unaltered right well, the specifics of your your kind of collecting really would call for that. I mean, you know, in a in a in a much more general sense. I mean, you know, I, I call myself a camera collector. I have a you know a fairly 
substantial collection. It varies across country and region and format and genre. Um, and if, you know, if I can get a camera to work, that's, that's a plus for me. Right. Um, I happen to be a, a rare collector who will keep a, a camera if it doesn't work. Um, uh, because right. I'm, I care about its function as a representative of the history of that camera and that, and that company. Um, and I know a lot of collectors want all cameras that function and, and that's just a prerogative. I can understand that as well. Um, what's, um, uh, this is probably a tough question, but I'm just curious. And I thought I'd throw this out there. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have a, a particular favorite camera in, in, in those 1300 cameras? Uh, yeah, that, that is a tough question. I mean, uh, definitely my latest find, uh, Orbita, uh, is gotta be my, I mean, just because nobody ever seen or heard or even like mentioned, uh, seen a mention of it before that probably is pr lately one of my favorite, uh, cameras, uh, right now. Um, I mean, I like a lot of I like the unique Soviet designs and um, I like Zenits a lot because I think Zenits were a very interesting, unique development of USSR and very expanded upon you, even though it was originally copied from Leica and then it was modified, but then it was modified even more, but it got, it got, it got to the point that, and then they made an SLR out of it. And then this SLR was basically built upon. So it, at the point, it became like a very original line. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, so there's the crust, the KMZ factory has a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, and the Lomo factory in Russia, um, they had quite a few original developments that are, that when, when, when they were mass produced. Um, and I think they, they picked the most interest because there's nothing to compare them to, I guess, mm -hmm. and it's originality. Um, and I oh, and I like the the fact that it's also been exported and changed by the exporters. So uh, my latest favorite thing is, I guess, I would have to say, export cameras. Uh, and, and besides this, uh, this unique cameras that I found is uh, whatever was rebranded with like really cool names. Uh, I mean, I don't have one particular one, like, but uh, if I'm to name one, uh, there's an international uh, branded camera, a Zenit E, that was basically, I believe, based on my research, that it was imported into Panama, into a free trade zone, and they uh, put like their own sticker on it and then tried to, and then resold them to United States market. Uh, very, very rare. Only see, I've only seen two of those with that kind of markings. Um, wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, this, the exports, fun tags on them, that's probably one of my favorites at the moment. So, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, just in terms of the, the dynamic of, of your collection and, and, and sort of, as I said, sort of the breadth of it and what it represents, um, you know, we, we sort of understand that, um, you know, Soviet cameras have this deep-seated connection to a history, which, um, and as I wrote, could be um, complex and volatile. Um, are there right. cameras in the collection that you that you have because uh, they have an intrinsic historical connection to, um, you know, any any facet of of uh, 
the Soviets' development? Um, I do have a separate collection of KGB cameras mm. uh, and, and the GRU cameras. Does the cameras basically the clandestine photography for kind of technical purposes that KGB used for surveillance. So that that's a very interesting topic for me. They are really, really expensive if you find them, but um, I managed to find a few for fairly reasonable prices that um, they're, I think, quite important. I mean, yeah, there's quite a bit of sinister history behind them, mm-hmm. but I, I think they were historically important cameras. Um, also, I, met late, I managed to find... Um, a, a fed one a pre-war fed camera the nkvd camera um uh, that um was actually based on the information that i have uh, on the serial numbers and the uh, dates that we have from the passports of the cameras was actually manu- was manufactured on manufactured on june 22nd 1941 which was the f- which is the day the germans uh, attacked ussr so wow. the Operation Barbarossa. So this is a very significant camera for me as well, just historically. I mean, it, it's it's kind of hard to tell it from the serial number, but when once they decoded it, it became like a very cool um, kind of conversation piece. Um, I also collect a lot of uh, pre-1917, the Tsarist Russia, Imperial Russian cameras. Wow. So um, there's very few that are actually made in, uh, in, in Russia. Uh, there's just literally maybe under 10, but there's a lot of them that were imported and put their own, and, and the, each um, importer would put their own uh, little plaque on them. Um, and uh, there's little signs on them. There's like a metal kind of like a metal plaques with a engraved uh, Imperial Russian Eagle on it. So uh, it's like really cool uh, pieces. So I think those are historically, I mean, important too. I mean, I have something as old as like 1894 uh, from like an Imperial Russia imported um, from like a, uh, it was like a Royal photographer out- outfit or something. Mm. Uh, so some of the stuff is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, uh, I mean, if I cannot, digress from my main topic of USSR a bit just by collecting everything that that has really writing on it as well so a lot of um there's a lot of Chinese cameras like lomography cameras or that have uh, Russian writing Cyrillic writing on them uh, that are in my collection I also collect any kind of Soviet manufactured camera toys Hmm. Um, just like children's toys from you from the Soviet times, so they're kind of little fun little cameras, so, uh, or or lighters in made in the shape of camera, uh, manufacturing USSR. Um, and one of the topics was uh, since Bulgaria wasn't part of USSR, uh, it had, but they also has Cyrillic writing. So I do have the only two cameras manufactured, the only camera actually, manuf- two variations of it. Uh, that was made in Bulgaria. So they only made one camera called Edelweiss. Ed, I don't know if you ever heard of it. And there, so there were two colors of them. So I managed to find both of those. And I think I have a Bulgarian, um, like a little uh, souvenir uh, camera also. Wow. Uh, just like little fun stuff. I mean, if it, if it says anything in Cyrillic, I would probably buy it. And the Chinese cameras. That's another thing. So the Chinese, the Soviets gave the sold or gave as a present the designs to a lot of Soviet cameras to a Chinese. So there's a Chinese Mena, there's the Chinese Lubitel, 
they also manufacture in China in the Chinese factories, so they look exactly like Soviet cameras. They just have different. They just have like Chinese writing on them. So there's uh, Huashan and Yangtze. Those are the two Smenas. So the early Smena cameras, they look exactly like them. They just they even they even, they cast the cast is identical. The only thing is they instead of the Soviet logo, they cast uh, the Chinese name on them. About so it's that. very cool. I mean, uh, and Chengle is the Chinese Lubitil camera. It looks exactly like Lubitil, but uh, it has like a Chinese like little plaque on it. But it's also the cast is also modified, but everything's based on the Soviet designs. So it's just kind of gifted to the Chinese, I think, as a gesture of like friendship because the, the USSR and China friendship with the whole communism going to from USSR to China was a big thing at the time. So there was a lot of stuff shared with them. Um, there's quite a few Chinese cameras if you think about it. There's, um, I think there's a really nice book um no god i forgot the author's name uh it's in english uh daniel something um i I bears that i don't remember the author's name but uh it's fairly common um you can find it around 15 dollars on ebay and it has a really really good uh, selection of these and there's like a there's a chinese fads chinese zenits and so on uh everything's based on soviet technology so it's kind of cool so if i see any of these cameras uh reasonably priced i usually pick them up Well, it sounds like the the collection itself has so many facets and and goes in quite a few directions. Um, How do you, um, I I guess I'll I'll turn sort of to display techniques and solutions at this point. I mean, um, the viewers can't see what I'm seeing, but I I think a lot of people have heard um, of the the manner in which, or at least seen photographs of of your collection. so how do you manage to keep things organized and uh, sort of so that you can reference and find uh, the cameras that you're looking for if you have a specific need to? Well, in terms of organization, I mean, well, first of all, let's talk about the furniture probably. I mean, there are a lot of collectors, uh, it's, a, it's a sore topic. But I, I think I, I, I used to have floating shelves and the stuff was getting dusty and it was kind of unmanageable, looked very clumpy together and I hated it. Uh, so I decided to redo the whole room. Um, I, I faced it with like brick walls and, uh, I got, um, so I decided to go the popular route, <clears throat> probably one of the cheaper ones. I, I got the Billy shelves. Um, I have around 12 Billy shelf units, uh, floor Those to from ceiling. Ikea. Yeah. From yeah. Ikea. Okay. Yeah. And they have these, uh, more doors that are mm-hmm. clear doors with uh, like a little, so those are the one the, the, they give you the most visibility of stuff behind it because they also have uh, the doors that are wooden, but you lose a lot in the bezel of the door. Mm-hmm. These are very thin and like metal uh, frames, so you can uh, you can really see stuff behind them. And uh, I've modified each one. I got a lot of uh, LED strips and I wired each one of them uh, with uh, like a color changing LEDs that are you can switch to any color. Uh, and under 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 every shelf, so everything's lighted. Uh, and uh, I have about 12 of them right at this point, and I'm planning expansion to another room, so I'm probably going to get another seven to eight more of these units, mm-hmm. shelving units. Uh, at this moment in time, I'm organizing it by the factory, probably that makes the more sense. Uh, so I have the, the Arsenal, so the, the Arsenal, Fed, Gomes, Lomo. Um, Bilomo and MMZ, this is the Belarusian factory. The KMZ probably takes up the most space because they made the most cameras. The KMZ shelves are, I don't know, I have like four. 
this four or five units is just uh, the Krasnogorsk was a huge factory. Uh, so, um, so it's by factory um, chronologically. I group them by models. I don't think really. I mean, I, I, I'm not at a point when it's really chronologically organized, but I don't mix them on one shelf. So they group by models. So there's a model of Fed one. There's a shelf of Fed one. There's a shelf of Fed two. Shelf of Fed three and four because there's not. I don't have the manuals. So I put them together and. Uh, uh, the Kievs are also, there's a Kiev twos and threes are one shelf. And then there are later ones like fours and four M's and so on are in a different shelf. I mean, I, I keep like expanding, uh, expanding, rearranging and kind of, it's, it's a process oh, sure. uh, process finding space too. I mean, right now I'm using these uh, acrylic risers to kind of display them in uh, like a staircase type of fashion. Uh, they are really, really expensive. So I found a hack. I started buying these uh, on Amazon, this square uh, clear cups, uh, hmm. plastic cups. And what happens is there's different sizes of them. Plus you can stack them one to another to get the right height. And that actually worked really well for me. I mean, it, and they are probably like 10 times cheaper than acrylic hmm. riser. Each riser is like three, $4. Hmm. The cups, I get 100 for $30. Oh, wow. That's a, it sounds like a really huge yeah, solution. I mean, yeah. Right. So the square cups, I mean, I started, I, I, I tried round ones, but round ones are kind of awkward. The cameras don't like really align well. So there's this square dessert cups that mm -hmm. are really cool. I mean, I mean, you can, you can basically uh, start with the smallest ones and then you get the bigger ones to stack them and, and, and then you, just, you get a really cool stair. You, you don't see them anyways. They're, they're like a camera in front of it kind of covers what's behind it. And then there's another camera. So it's, a, but the, the structure is there. So um, it's a little hack for other collectors. Maybe they'll find helpful um, to, because I spend hundreds and not thousands uh, just on acrylic risers. Uh, oh my before, lord! And they just and just really start switch to cops maybe four years ago and it works out great. Right. And I don't see much difference in sturdiness or anything like that. But right. Uh, uh, how how I'm um, I'm curious how uh, familiar are you with your with your collection? I mean, if you were looking for a specific camera, could you simply oh, walk yeah. over to where it is and pick it up i know where every camera is oh. of every variation so if you ask me to pick something i'll go i know exactly where it is and it's one of the things i mean you had if you had something for many many years you already know every little you know what's missing and uh, i have a couple of empty uh spots right now i know one is mike ekman took my zenith 16 to for a for a test drive so he's oops i think i gave away his surprise for the review there that's okay but that's coming so he's got my he's got my veto three for the spring so oh, okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah um, so keep it keep the spot empty just on purpose because i oh, know sure. there's something's missing oh, sure. and there's a variation missing so i try not to fill it are the are the variations i know that they can get very specific are they besides the fact that they exist on the camera are they recorded in any other way just so that you have a reference yeah i have a spreadsheet like an um, like a google sheet spreadsheet where when i buy something if it's like a i don't I, it's not like a, a grid of all the variations it's real like a, a zenith b with a fancy leather or something or like a zenith b with a screw uh on the right side uh, or something like that you know because i mean kind of when i look at it i know what it is i mean it's really coded for me because i mean there's there's 
there's two Zenith EMs, and uh, the early one had serial number on the right, and that, the other one had serial number, the later one had serial number on the left. So I, I just write Zenith E, serial number on the left. I mean, it's just kind of like a quick reference point, but it's mostly for just kind of keeping track of every item that I have. Uh, and lately I started an Eastern Grim account maybe four years ago, and everything that comes in new that's not a duplicate uh, goes on the Instagram. So, so at least I can keep track of it just for myself too. I mean, people find it useful. I mean, I have a lot of followers, but a lot of the stuff, it was like started for myself because I buy something and like, Oh, which, which variation did I buy? I forget sometimes. And I, I go, I go scroll through and find it. And Oh, that's the one. Right. Uh, it's a really good for reference. Um, and, and duplicates, uh, I goes into separate Google uh, Google Photos album, they just keep and I keep them for trade. So when people are like, hey, what do you have? Like, offer me something that I send them a link back with a Google um, Photos album. I'm like, here, pick something from here, you know. And, oh. and uh, it's just easy, you know, it's like just a bunch of cameras you look through. I'm like, oh, I like this, I like this. And would you trade this? And you start exchange addresses. And well, I mostly trade with the people I know, mm-hmm. uh, but um, and trust. Um, because some of these cameras can get pretty pricey. Oh, sure. But but, but the trade, but but it's really easy way to kind of. I know a lot of collectors like so. He's like, I want this camera that you have that's duplicate. I'm like, what do you have? I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go look, you know. And he go and he goes and looks for like two weeks, and then it's like, oh, I didn't find anything. Oh my god. <laughs> so, no. So instead of like, uh, so. I started this, and a few collectors picked up the trend. The trend. So now a lot of collectors created like either Google, Google Photos albums or just put it in Google Drive and send it and share the link. Really convenient. I mean, like you send them this, and they send them back, and just basically you say, "Hey, I want this. You have this. Done." You know? Yeah, it sounds like a good plan, and it sounds like you know the, the it evolved in in a way that is fairly organized, so that you and other collectors can sort of tap into each other's interests in an effective way. Yeah, um, I, I so think so yeah it's getting there <laughs> well that's not it's nice to know i'm i'm curious i want to i want to ask you about um another aspect of um uh not just a collection but something that i noticed um when i was able to collect some soviet cameras for myself um the the culture the soviet cultures um and their their sort of connection to a camera um, you know, it's something that we sort of all understand because, um, you know, at, at the time a camera could be very expensive for uh, a family to purchase. Right. Um, and, and I think it's different with, with, um, you know, uh, our American society where a camera w- w- not only was mass produced, but it was something that was a, fairly easily attainable. Um, and it, it, it certainly, I don't think has the same, um, um, value in terms of its intrinsic connection to maybe a family history or a family heirloom or something like that. And what I noticed was that I, I had several cameras in my collection that were inscribed, um, from one person to another and given as gifts. And, um, you know, we, we chatted about that briefly, and and I'm kind of curious if that was a really common uh, element in the whole um, sort of gift-giving perspective. Right. The Soviet industry, in terms of, like, household products, wasn't, you didn't have much selection, to be honest. And it was hard to get stuff. I mean, for the population that size, uh, comparatively, there's not a lot of affordable um, cameras available in the store. I mean, there was always shortage. 
Um, so like leather and metal cameras, uh, like Zenit and uh, Zorkies, they they were not cheap. I mean, like I mean, they they would cost close close to a one month salary of mm-hmm. like a of a person. So whenever it was like a cultural thing. So whenever somebody would achieve something, um, like uh, a person was retiring, uh, 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 and everybody at work would basically put money together and would get like a nice in it and engrave it. So this was like a for it was like a memento that would that would that was very common to get when you would achieve so like you would uh, or. In, it was very also common in military. So an officer for like an officer achievement, uh, he would get a camera uh, from the um, higher up uh, officers uh, for any kind of achievements. So it was like it was used as a ward almost because in a lot of cases, I mean, they're not the cameras were not that easy to buy. I mean, it was like a it's an item of luxury. I mean, the only cameras that everybody had was Smena 8M. Like every other household, we have that, or they have the Agat 18 or 18K. Those are like the cheap plastic cameras. Yeah, they would cost 15 rubles, for example, for a Smena 18.8M. Uh, when like a secretary salary, um, like a average salary was around 75 to 100 rubles a month. So for fifteen, there's still like a big chunk of salary yeah. for a month, but you know, but but you could kind of afford it if you wanted the camera. So people mostly get that, but more like a, like a Zenits or or Zorkis, there was more of a splurge. So it was more like a, make a like a camera for us. I mean, it's it's always like a status symbol, and uh, so so was the uh, so were these uh, metal cameras. I mean, um, and it it was it was. I mean, it's not just the cameras that were gifted, actually. I mean, any kind of item that was um, like a radio, uh, like a high-end radio or any kind of household technology that were like a prestige symbol that that people would engrave it and give it like for people to keep for years. And especially cameras that last forever. So you know that the family will have it and his kids and grandkids. And so it Mm -hmm. was a really good memory um, to have. So it just became a common practice. It's it's really interesting. It's sort of an interesting phenomenon. I mean, I, I must have t- ten or fifteen different cameras that yeah. have inscriptions, and I, I, I sort of I find it humorous that um, you know if I get one with an inscription and I don't know what it says, uh, I just have to post a picture of it on one of the uh, Facebook groups, and I have probably thirty responses in as many minutes, um, and I uh, immediately know what the inscription was, who gave it to who, and and all the particulars of it so um you know it's i guess basically what i'm saying is the community out there is so valuable and um you know absolutely we really depend on it um and you know it's different i i have to say you know i mean we collect um you know cameras from different countries and we have questions about them and we post these questions and they get answered and it's very supportive but when it comes to 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 soviet cameras you know there's a lot not only in terms of history but also in terms of the, the subtleties of translations and things like that. You know, these cameras come with passports that are very intricate and very sort of detailed in terms of their history. And, you know, a lot of times it's it's nice to be able to know, you know, what that information is and that we can depend on, um, you know, so many members of, of the, the Soviet camera and lenses group um, and um, everybody that you're associated with. You know, it really, it really... Um, 
helps a lot in terms of uh, just feeling like your connection, your connection to your collection is um, more holistic. Let's just say. Um, I, I have sort of one more question, and then I think we're going to um, pretty much reach the end of our of our chat here for okay. the evening. Um, you know, we look at the, the size of your collection and, and also um, how de detailed and intricate it is, you know, and I, and I kind of, um, I sort of pose this to you, um, you know, how do you feel about the term historian or archivist when you, when you look at your collection and your relationship to it? I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I think it's exactly really who I am. And uh, I, a lot of times I get flamed for it just because, um, I, I don't really shoot these cameras and don't use them. I treat them as museum exhibits. So I think um, it's, uh, for me, it's very important to know the, the history of these cameras and the manufacturing process. And by, by acquiring all this, I mean, I don't think it, it's, it, it, it's organized. I mean, I've been called a hoarder. <laughs> I don't think I am that because I mean it's it's very um, it, it's an organized hoarding, <laughs> put it this way. Um, yeah, and, I wouldn't use that term at all. But uh, go ahead. Right. Yeah. But I it, it's it, it's happened. Uh, but um, just because I don't use them, I've been called that because I'm like I'm like you have all those cameras. You 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 shot them all. I'm like no. I I think it's a significant piece of history, and I am ar archiving them. And uh, I mean, in a lot of cases, we, we find out a lot of very interesting things by just looking at the variations and the progressions and, and examining the cameras that we have. I mean, I've had to disassemble a couple of cameras. I, I give it to people to do it because I'm afraid to do it myself. But uh, there's a lot of historical facts that, uh, that came out. I mean, if you read the USSR Photo Forum, I mean, there's some really, really detailed uh discussion of like two screws on a on like a camera like a tsvvs and what they mean and that people were disassembling their cameras and they found this scratched initials next to them so i mean it's all these little details are really important to build a complete picture of it mm -hmm. and i think um by kind of putting it out there i mean i tried to post stuff on my instagram just kind of describing what's significant about certain cameras um and and kind of spread and, and and a lot of collectors learn directly as well and, and this knowledge is out there and uh it's gonna and it ends up on a lot of websites informational websites that i've seen i mean i've had um kmz site use a whole bunch of my cameras for their site because it just didn't have them in their in in their museum uh so they asked me for photos because we found some interesting variations mm -hmm. of, of them so i think stuff like this um just preserving, organizing, and studying them uh, long-term uh, yields uh, very interesting results. And I don't think that, that I'm not a really good photographer. <laughs> so for me, it's like, it's almost mostly about uh, just kind of keeping these as um, historical pieces. And there's a, and, and I guess there's, there's multiple stages of being collector as well. There's there's a macro view of it when you understand the history behind them, when the, the historical events that happened around them. But some more people, some people that I know that I talk to and consult with, they are they have specific concentrations, and then it goes to the level that they know the peop, actual people who designed this camera. Wow! They go, they have a complete 
biography of these people, like Idas, uh, that from Soviet camps. He 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 got into Lomo, and he has a actually group. You might invite you to. It's called Lomo Cameras, and he posts bios of this of these designers all from Lomo factory of each person that worked on this project, uh, their life stories. It's amazing. I mean, I, I'm not on that, on that level yet because I still have a lot of macro stuff to go. I mean, I, mean, I can only fit so much in my head. I mean, a lot of stuff I still have to go and look up. For sure. But, but, uh, but once you get to the, I mean, it's, it's an endless process. process. I mean, it's, it's, it's evolving and learning. And uh, I mean, it, it never ends. I mean, the amount of information out there is vast. I mean, if, if you want to really go get into it, I mean, I, I try to remember this all. I mean, I read Isaac's book maybe three, four times already because he has all these bios. And like, I know the people, if you mention it, I know who they are. But again, there's there are maybe uh, 80 or 100 people in his book that work in various cameras. And it's just impossible to remember this soul. And and kind of him posting this little bits and info, it kind of reiterates it in your head. So, and you find commonalities in that person's design in other models that mm-hmm. they worked on so it's it's there's so many little little intricacies and connections it's impossible to kind of know it all but uh, it's a very fun process in doing so well i can see that and i, and I think there's intrinsic value in you know maintaining a, a collection that um can help people connect with a history and also to understand you know, the development of an industry, which is, you know, pretty amazing. I mean, when you think about the the ebb and flow of um, how Soviet cameras were produced and and the connection that they have with the German photographic industry and, and the Japanese photographic industry, I mean, I right. think the whole thing sort of ties itself together. And there needs to be a place where, um, you know, this information is gathered and becomes a clearinghouse. So, you know, um, I, I, I could only uh, find, um, you know, you know, admiration for the job that you've done in, in, in maintaining a collection that has such depth and such detail so that, you know, uh, us sort of on the, on the outer rim of that who collect maybe, you know, um, 50 or 60 Soviet cameras of different variations can turn to your collection and turn to some of the other reference material and to pinpoint some of the very interesting things that connect us to our collection. And I, and I think there's a real value in that. So you build um, sentimentality. Absolutely. mm -hmm. And I I applaud you for that. So, um, you know, I I can only say, um, you know, keep, keep keep going um because you know the more information you uncover um and the more detail you're able to sort of um supply um the more interesting our our collections become to us and and i think that helps make those connections and and solidifies them so um you know uh, you. more will... power to you let me just say that thank um, you i will try and one thing i have to say is uh <clears throat> Um, if you, I mean, you, 50% of collecting is not just learning history is communication with other collectors and it's building the community and uh, it's, it's putting the, putting the information together, finding the missing pieces and putting it out there. Do not keep this information to yourself. Uh, if the more you put out there, the more you learn back. 
I mean, this was my experience. I know a lot of collectors that are very protective of the stuff they know because they think that would drive the prices up if they all of a sudden they say that this they found this very uh, obscure uh, variation that will uh, drive the market up. And I, I don't really understand that. Yeah, okay, let it let the prices go up, and uh, but the, the the knowledge will increase exponentially about this. I mean, just I think being open about what you collect and all the information that you know behind it, it will be so much more beneficial to the community. You will get a lot of it back to you. I mean, it, you, you will benefit more in the end. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the educational aspect of it alone is, is worth, um, you know, being a part of the community and, and sharing the information through and through. So, um, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. Well, Vlad, I, um, I think we're at the end of our time here and, um, I really appreciate the, uh, the time and the effort that you've given to, um, to uh, coming on the show and talking about the collection. Um, I, I, I really think it was interesting to hear the specifics uh, and how your collection uh, functions, because I, I think it really does. I mean, I think it's an entity. And I think, um, you know, once we are aware that a camera collection can function that way, um, you know, there's a lot that we realize we can, can, can get out of it. So um, I thank you for your time and um, being with us on our show. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It was, a, it was a quite a pleasurable experience. Thank you so much. Well, thanks a lot, Vlad. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, if you want to uh, visit ussrphoto.com um, uh, or uh, any of the Facebook groups um, that are associated with camera collectors, uh, certainly do that. Um, and, uh, Vlad, I'll also post um, your Instagram information and uh, other ways to connect with you. Um, on the show notes Great. so people can connect with you specifically if they have questions. Great. Thank you so much. Great. Sure. No problem. Um, okay. So we'll be back uh, with more from the ephemeral machine. And welcome back. You're listening to the ephemeral machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. I'd like to thank Vladislav Kern for visiting with us today and being a part of the Silver Halide sessions. Um, I found it to be a particularly uh, insightful and unique experience speaking with Vlad about his collection, uh, how it developed, um, its potential growth, and its role in helping um, collectors understand um, the focus of the Soviet photographic industry and essentially all the tenants that are connected to it. Um, speaking with Vlad, I really got a sense that, um, you know, the, the camera as an icon um, is uh, functioning more than just a tool for, for photographing, obviously, things, but um, provides access to uh, some sort of connection with history um, by virtue of the fact that it, it, it exists in so many different forms in so many different ways. Um, I can't think of another approach to collecting that deals with the specific nuances of variance to the degree that um, um, Vlad and the people who are involved in um, the, the minute details of um, collecting at this level 
um, provide in, in this sort of uh, expose or kind of look at how he uh, continues to work through the development of the collection and as it expands and so on and so forth. Um, to see Vlad sitting in front of the collection at this point is something remarkable. Um, all the cameras that are behind him neatly organized and displayed. Um, you know, his ability to pinpoint a specific camera if he wishes to um, basically be able to walk over to a shelf and pick up a camera. If somebody asks him about a specific variance or a modification or something along those lines, um, it's remarkable in that way. And when you think about it, um, it shows a focus and a determination that uh, permeates his um, desire to uh, maintain this um, very, very valuable archive. And um, it's nice to know that, that, um, that he's out there um, compiling this information, supporting it, and providing access if if we need. I mean, you can you can contact um, Vlad uh, through email or through um, you know some of the other resources, uh, Facebook um, groups, and ask him any question, and um, you know he'll respond to you and and provide you with the the breadth of his knowledge. And um, you know it's it's a valuable valuable resource when it comes to um you know our particular collections so if you if you collect soviet cameras um you know i i hope that this was an insightful perspective on the development of a soviet collection and um knowing that um, there's more information coming up is kind of exciting if you don't collect soviet cameras well then maybe uh, you might want to look at them as a way of uh, integrating them into your collection uh, potentially looking at one or two models just to kind of round out um, something regionally or give um, space to one aspect of the photographic industry that has um, maintained uh, such a strong and dynamic foothold for so long um, so that's it for, uh, this episode of the ephemeral machine. Uh, I thank you for joining me. Once again, if you want to contact me, uh, you can reach me via email. That's at the ephemeral machine at gmail.com. Um, you can look at the, um, pictures that I post of equipment and gear for those who like to look at photographs of cameras and who doesn't. And that's at the ephemeral machine on, um, Instagram. Um, the ephemeral machine.com, uh, the website, which is essentially an updated blog, which coincides with every episode. Um, and most effectively, probably you can reach me once again via email and I answer as soon as the emails come through. So I'd love to hear from you. Um, please check the podcast out. If you're listening on Podbean, great. Uh, if you happen to be listening on Apple, or iTunes, um, please leave me a review. That would be nice. I'd like to hear what you have, what you think. Uh, <clears throat> so that's it for the ephemeral machine, a podcast about collecting cameras for this episode. And, um, once again, I appreciate the fact that you've joined me on this uh, little journey that we had today. And, um, I hope you gained insight, uh, and perspective from, uh, the visit that we had from Vladislav Kern. Uh, so that's it. Um, thanks for joining me and I'll see you next time on the ephemeral machine. <laughs>